I had a NOAA employee ask, like, so who would the audience be for something like that? Really? <laughs> I have to explain this to you. So, but, you know, amongst all that, I keep making them anyway because it's what I like to do and it makes me happy. And it sparks curiosity and imagination in other people. So I have zero reasons to stop. So to the quiet nerds out there, just do that weird thing that you love to do. Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robertazzi. Along with our amazing guests, as we explore how people's inner artist and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. Our guest today is Abrian Curington. Abrian is a visual storyteller and cartographer living and working in Washington State. Her work includes illustrated prose, fantastical maps, and graphic novels. She was an artist at sea aboard the research vessel Falcor for the Schmidt Ocean Institute. Abraham tells us how curiosity is at the root of our artistic and scientific work, how visual storytelling can create emotion and connection, and she shares tips for being a better communicator. Finally, she shares a message for quiet nerds with wild hearts. Enjoy. Hello, Adrian. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Welcome. So you are a visual storyteller and cartographer. That's what we read on your profile. But in researching your background, uh, actually, we found that a little hard to summarize you and the work that you do compared to some of our other guests. And if I can list off a few of the things we found, I think it'll inspire a lot of curiosity in our guests because they all sound super cool. I'll be very honest. You are a graphic novelist, a science communicator, cartography, oceanography, DAR math, and something near and dear to my heart, a Tai Chi instructor. So that's very broad, very expansive. Uh, and as I said, very cool, all those things. Can you tell us, is there a common thread? What is the common thread that ties all these interests together? And if we are able to summarize the work that you're doing? There's like a lot of possible threads that could tie everything together. But I would probably say that the root is curiosity. Um, I have always had so many questions, you know, what's in the deep space or the deep sea, which feeds into science communication, or how can I help my body move better, which is the Tai Chi and weightlifting, eating well, um, how can I get more comfortable with the world around me, which is how I got into, uh, well, not how I got into, but how I deepened my love of mapping. So I just end up asking how a lot, like, how does that work? And that's probably due to my training and interest in illustration, because as artists, uh, we really have to observe a lot. Uh, in order to render the world around us, uh, we have to examine what we're looking at and figure out how the shapes that form that object uh, interconnect in space. So art is like, I don't know, 80% observation, 20% rendering. So I do a lot of looking and wondering. Um, and so from that curiosity comes research and experimentation. And then I have all this 
knowledge that I have nothing to do with. So, you know, I like to share it and, uh, and I use visual storytelling as a medium to share what I've learned. That's great. Can we talk about visual storytelling for a bit? Because that's uh, one of the key things in a way that you describe the work that you do. What is the value of the visual storytelling versus just storytelling? And it is definitely just stories told with visuals. And I use the term visual storytelling mostly because it means I don't have to change my business cards if I decide to you know, illustrate a book versus making a graphic novel versus uh, you know, trying my hand at animation. It's all visual storytelling. So it all falls under the same umbrella. So it gives me you know, more latitude or you know, longitude to try different uh, visual methods. And there's both internal and external factors as to why I choose to share my work through visuals. Uh, internally, I love to draw. I, I think it's really exciting when I can convey a, a mood or a feeling through an image just as I imagined it, which is really difficult. You know, you always see something in your head that you want to do and it doesn't always doesn't always come out like you thought it would, you know, but that's where all the, uh, what were they called? Pinterest fails come from where you think you're going to bake this awesome Elmo cake and it doesn't turn out. <laughs> um, so uh, that's always exciting when it does work out. And externally, uh, there's several reasons. Um, images tend to convey a feeling faster than reading a chunk of text. Uh, and some people use that to their advantage on, you know, like social media to attract attention. You know, you post an image of a baby with a kitten, you get all of these likes versus you write a paragraph about a baby and a kitten, maybe not so much. That emotional aspect is what ties a reader to uh, the information that's being presented. So anything that I can do to uh, heighten the emotion in the work that I'm doing is, is preferable. So it just kind of adds to the storytelling puzzle. Hmm. I loved what you said early on about uh, an artist, 80% of the, what an artist does is the consumption, the observation, mm -hmm. and then an artist kind of then presents it, explains it to us in, in other words. And I think that's quite true in terms of what art is about and what artists do for us in the world in a lot of ways, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, you, and it's almost like you don't know if the artist is working you know, who's sitting thinking big thoughts and, and there's a lot of work going on there, right? <laughs> you know, you, like you say that and it's funny, but as an artist, you feel that, you know, you feel like I have wasted my day. What am I actually doing here? You're just sitting here, but mm -hmm. you are working. It's yes. just that it's the, the mental aspect of the work. Yeah. Especially in our society, which is about producing, 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 right? right? Yep. So the, the idea of story, I love the idea of visual storytelling and People, I guess, are both visual learners and auditory learners. You, you hear that phrase a lot. Some people really are drawn into the kind of visual world and in uh, in many ways. So did you find yourself to be someone who was very drawn to kind of visual stimulation, visual stories and aesthetics? Um, so it's something you kind of knew you've had for a long time in you? I am drawn to visual aesthetics as in when I see an image, you know, I, if, if it, if it touches my heart, it touches my heart, you know, it's like, oh man, oh, that's so amazing. But uh, growing up, I actually, I was mostly immersed in literature. So I read a lot, uh, whether it had images or not. So, you know, if I'm reading my hardback copy of 
the definitive Alice or something that comes with illustrations. That's great. And that's how I learned to love particular um, look and feel of an illustration and illustrated maps because they came in the books that I was reading. Uh, But I mostly live in my head. So I would read a lot and I would be the one making the images in my mind rather than visually consuming a lot of visuals. But of course, you know, when I see something that's amazing, it's amazing. (laughs) Makes sense. Makes sense. So you mentioned maps in there and that is kind of a interesting topic because that that was what caught my eye, particularly um, being the uh, artisan residence on, uh, which, what's the name of that ship again? I'm sorry. Falcor. Or it was Falcor. Now it's Falcor 2 because yes, they yes. got a new new ship. So can you tell us a little about that journey? That sounds fascinating. Yeah, that was a great residency. So I was aboard what was then the research vessel Falcor. It's the Schmidt Ocean Institute's vessel. And that program is amazing. They believe in STEAM rather than STEM. So the, the art component of STEM Uh, So they invite artists to come aboard. You have to propose something that you're going to do for them, but you hang out, learn about the science being done, learn about the crew and the history of the vessel, and then you create a project based on whatever you propose. So for me, uh, I decided to make an illustrated map of the voyage. So I was going to make a map of the seafloor, the area that we were in, and around it, like make this awesome border that like included all of the things we encountered. And, you know, if we saw a whale, you draw it in like the, you know, here be dragons like style. It was going to be amazing. And then I found out that the area that we were in, we were mostly on a continental shelf. And I found out that they are flatter than I imagined. (laughs) They are, you know, when you see them on the map, you're like, right, sure. That's a, it's an exaggeration. It's not, uh, at least off the Washington coast. So it's a very, very flat mudland, basically. So I had to shift gears and make something that was more illustration than map, but I still got to make a visual border that included many things that we encountered. And in able to being able to make an illustration, I was able to include more things that we encountered as well. So it was memorable for everybody. The map itself you know, told the story of the journey. So that was my, my goal. It wasn't achieved how I thought it would be, but that was my goal. Even though you weren't able to achieve that goal, actually, when I, I was reading about this, I started to think like you had an intention to create a map of the journey and the seafloor. I started to think today, are maps still mostly hand-drawn? You would think with satellite images and things like that, maps could just be like happen in a half a second. But How are people creating maps now? So good question. Lots of ways, not hand-drawn for the most part. They can be, certainly, but you can imagine that that takes a while. Uh, So as far as ocean floor mapping, they use both multi-beam and single-beam sonar scanning, very high resolution, often, not not always. The, The goal is to use very high resolution. And yeah, we do get pingbacks of data that are rendered into a digital map. And you can use that data to render different types of maps. You know, they don't all have to look the same. It's just data collected. Uh, So you can draw a hand-drawn map from that data, which I often do because I find it to be fun. You know, how you interpret the data, you know, you can draw it like 
17th century hand-drawn map if you want to. And I love doing that because it means I can add in little creatures or whatever I want. Uh, but yes, we do uh, use sonar scanning now. So you don't have to draw them by hand and they're much, much more accurate if they're not drawn by hand, you know, for scientific purposes. But not as fun. <laughs> and you mentioned as the artist in residence on that ship, you got to know the crew and you could come up with your own project. I mean, you could, you know, do a story about the, like the cook, you know, a graphic novel about the, you could have done anything you want. That, yep. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Maybe that's a return trip. You find out what's going on in the, uh, I'm not sure what they could, the galley or the mess hall or somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> I did. I took a tour and it was amazing. And I learned so much. And I <laughs> actually, I made a travel journal about that trip afterward. And I did include that because I thought it was amazing. Great. Great. Obviously you're an artist with this interest in science and some scientific knowledge or based on your curiosity and some training. I imagine there, there are, it's not a ship full of artists. It's a, a lot of scientists on it, I imagine. Correct. What was that kind of interaction like in terms of, uh, you know, you, you uh, are a scientific storyteller, which I imagine you have to communicate with other technical scientific people. And that's always kind of the theme of our show that communicating at the same levels or trying to understand very technical information and communicating out. And what's your experience with that? Yeah. So it depends on the scientists, of course, because I have met scientists that are the very stereotypical scientists, very you know, buttoned up and tries not to laugh because why would life be funny? And <laughs> I've also met, you know, very, very down to earth scientists. Um, so it depends on the person, just like anything else. But in as far as trying to translate what they're talking about, I will often, yeah, I'm listening and I do understand most of what they're saying, but typically what the scientist tends to miss when they're communicating their own research is why anyone else should care. You know, why a normal person who doesn't know anything about the topic should care about what they're studying. So for example, the, the cruise where I was an artist at sea, uh, we were seeking space rocks. So we were looking for a particular meteorite that fell into the ocean that was tracked through this, uh, weather tracking satellites. And they picked up on it, you know, made an algorithm to figure out where it could be, and we're going to go look for it. And I was explaining this to someone else because they were asking what the trip was about. And they're like, so why do, why? Why are you looking for this? Great question. I asked them the same question <laughs> and I was able to tell them why that mattered. If we could find it, uh, we could see why it was so large, why it didn't break up, what materials it was made out of, which could potentially you know, prevent future disasters if another one were to fall in a more populated place. So, and they said, oh, that's great. I understand that. So it's usually the, the why factor that's missing. I personally like to know how things work, but mm -hmm. as far as the communication aspect, I need to know why. why. <laughs> and I imagine for many scientists, the why to them is obvious. Like, why wouldn't we do this? Of course, you know, you don't understand why we're doing this. That's probably a, a part of why, why it doesn't dawn on them that quickly to explain it. <laughs> well, and a lot of them, you know, their why personally is, you know, because I think this is a cool topic. <laughs> Like, that's great. Yeah. But if you want anyone else to think it's a cool right. topic, <laughs> why do you think it's a cool topic? Yes. So 
tell us about the space rocks. What did you find? Space rocks. What did we find? So I think I can, I think I can talk about this because they've gone out since then. So I think they've done three, three trips to find this meteorite. And the one that I was on, they were, they found some dust, meteorite dust before. So they were trying to find something that was larger than a centimeter. And as far as I can tell, they did not find anything that was larger than a centimeter. Uh, and then they went out again, and I don't know how that trip went. Uh, but yeah, it was it was very interesting. I call it, it's not low science, maybe low tech science, because we were literally like panning for gold, like a sieve, scoop up muck, shake it around, look in it. With, with, this is with a remote operated vehicle. And look in it, see, oh, anything, any chunks in there? All right. <laughs> Shake it out, scoop up some warm boxes. It was a fun adventure. I was hoping the answer would be uh, kryptonite, but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, no. We, there was a, a blip on the, the sonar data, and we were pretty sure it was just you know a blip of, of a data blip, but uh, it was either that or a chair-sized meteorite. So as we were approaching the site, <laughs> we're like, if we find a chair-sized meteorite, how <laughs> are we going to get it back? And we were like brainstorming all the stuff, but. We did not find our chair, unfortunately. So I think this idea of taking very technical concepts and translating that into something that people can understand is very broad. I mean, I do that as well, just in business. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand what our customers want, putting yourself in the minds of of the people who are asking why. Mm -hmm. Is there things that are teachable? What do you do in terms of being a scientific communicator? Can other people learn how to better take technical information and turn that uh, into relatable stories, concepts. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to just communicate better, there are a lot of resources for that. I work with lifeology.io, which makes a lot of courses about science in general and health, but also about science communication and visual storytelling and science storytelling. So they have a lot of tips there and uh, there are many books, but mostly it comes down to making relatable examples, keeping the person you're talking to in mind, like why would this particular person care about what I'm talking about and trying not to use too much jargon. And that goes for any industry. Uh, I had some client work recently where the company is very, very uh, buzzword minded just in general. And they kept trying to use like the right artistic terms to describe what they needed. And I said, you know, you don't have to do that. Just, just tell me you want it more red. I will understand. <laughs> I will figure it out. If you don't know, just say like, I want it to seem more happy. I can work that out. <laughs> using all of the buzzwords and terms just is not working for you. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, trying to just speak plainly just and clarity is the key. So There are many ways, especially digitally, that you can show a concept, but you always pick the clearest one, even though it may not be like the perfect analogy, it's the clearer of the options. So clarity, keeping things simple. It's not, and some people think that uh, using simple language is the term dumbing it down. It's not, it's just making it understandable for all people. I was in a, a workshop for ocean scientists. I was like the odd person out because I was, I think the only not ocean scientist in the crowd. Uh, And they did a little thing where 
each person would write a term that's very specific to their uh, department of science, uh, ocean sciences. And, you know, you toss it around the room and somebody else had to open it up and read it and say what it meant. And there were no correct guesses from any of the terms, even though they were all ocean scientists. So, you know, even within a field using jargon is usually not the way to go. One of our other guests, this is going back to the visual and the and kind of the keeping things simple, said uh, he had advice that um, everybody should learn how to draw. Uh, what do you what do you think about that? Uh, the idea is that if you can take the complex ideas and simplify that into something visual, it helps both the person you're talking to, but also you to understand uh, some kind of deeper pattern or concept to it. Yeah, I think that's great. And also, I think that everyone should realize that they probably already can draw because. If you can write, you can draw because you draw letters. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh, more the idea of like being open to like doodling something, even though, yeah, it doesn't look like, you know, an old master hand painted it, but it gets your point across. You know, if you're trying to give someone directions, you can draw a quick like sticks of the road and point to where things are. So I think, uh, being open to seeing the world visually and realizing that you can interpret what you're thinking into a visual format is a helpful skill just to exercise your brain a little bit. One of the thought I have is you're doing scientific communication, but also graphic novels. I imagine some fantasy involved in that. Absolutely. So one element of your, you know, there might be some factual things you need to get right. And then the other one, you can go a little further into your imagination and really kind of go wild. Which one do you uh, enjoy more? So I'm a weirdo in that I kind of balance both. Uh, I definitely enjoy being able to run wild and say, like, I care about this fact, but I don't really care about this fact. Or, see, I, I do a lot of research in either field and sometimes even more in fantasy, because fantasy has a lot of like clashes of different things. Like the current project I'm working on, it's a secret. So I can't tell you exactly what it is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've had to brush up on my Latin, uh, studying um, Roman mythology rather than the our, our typical love Greek mythology. Um, I've been studying mushrooms and, you know, I had to read a paper about like mushroom spore releasing and uh, physics and all sorts of things coming together. So I do a ton of research for fantasy work because most, I'd say that the wildest things come from nature, come mm. from things that already exist. And mm -hmm. we just kind of mash them together in interesting ways. Uh, so when I do nonfiction work, I do research well, quite a bit, but it's more taking what already exists and presenting it in an interesting way rather than taking what already exists and mashing it together to see what comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So speaking about graphic novels, you have a website, bluecatco.com, mm -hmm. where in addition to some of the other things you're doing, I saw Star Math, for example. I was really interested in that. You say you write graphic novels for quiet nerds with wild hearts, a beautiful turn of phrase there. What do you have to say to Quiet nerds with wild hearts. So what advice do you have for quiet nerds with wild hearts? Ah, as a quiet nerd myself, I like to probably spread the word that it's okay to be into 
whatever weird thing you're into and pursue that as much as you want. And I don't mean like weird, like, you know, the people that like offbeat underground cafes, but like, I have to explain who ABBA is to people, my favorite band, you know, this like 70s Swedish pop band. And, you know, as if you can imagine this, as cool as it is to make maps, I often have to explain why someone would make maps because people think, well, the whole world is mapped. Like what, what do you need to make maps for? And even among cartographers, they don't understand what the point of an illustrated map is. I had a NOAA employee ask like, so who would the audience be for something like that? Really? <laughs> I have to explain this to you. So, but you know, amongst all that, I keep making them anyway, because it's what I like to do and it makes me happy. And it sparks curiosity and imagination in other people. So I have zero reasons to stop. So to the quiet nerds out there, just do that weird thing that you love to do. Yeah, and definitely, um, I didn't want to ask, but you answered, uh, if you are a quiet nerd with a wild heart, it sounds like it uh, definitely you're doing, let's not call them weird things, but quite a lot of things that sound like they're just exactly what you're interested in. And Yeah, exactly. One person's weird is another person's normal. Absolutely. <laughs> This has been wonderful and very enjoyable. So thank you very much. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com if you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoyed the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people. And also hit the subscribe button.